the apostles and found them to be false, false prophets, false apostles. And they did all of this without growing weary. So great list of things and only one thing that Jesus corrects. Okay, just one thing. And that was that they stopped maintaining and insisting upon first love. They've stopped maintaining and assist, insisting on first love. They were probably preaching about it. Um, they probably, in Ephesus on the wall, there was probably a, a banner like this that said, love God, love people. Um, so it wasn't that they totally forgot it. They just weren't putting it into practice. You know how, like I gave the illustration today that, you know, when we go to a place, if we're healthy and we can walk, we should take the back parking place, even at the store, and save the front ones for people that struggle or people that have kids. Nothing worse than watching a mom with like five kids have to try to go from the back parking space at a store. I know I'm going to be at Walmart all week in disguise watching where y'all park. Uh, not, not a guilt trip, but that's a practical way that we lay down our rights. Because, hey, it's my right to that parking place. Do you ever get to a parking place at the same time as someone with your blinker on and they pulled in ahead of you? And what do we do in that moment? Do we demonstrate first love or first rage? <laughs> Fine, you can have it. Um, I hope you get a flat tire. All right, no, I'm just, that's what we think inside, but we would never actually want that to happen. But first, meaning first in time, space, or degree, or what's most important. So what's happening here in Ephesus is they're being called back to what's the primary thing in their lives. Uh, I know in a lot of Bibles it's translated, go back to the works you did at first. That's not really a, a full translation of that. Because when you got saved or when you became a believer, you didn't start believing and obeying God the best you could. I hope that in the time you've known him, you've matured. You've grown. You've actually gotten better at following him. So to say, go back to the works you did at first... Not so much. Go back to the standard that was given to you at first, this first love. And we also define the word love. It's a strong, non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges that we don't use that word in America. We fight for our rights. We don't willingly forfeit them. Um, for another person's behalf. But that's the love that Jesus displayed for us and he calls us to display for others. Anything less than that means that the same way that John, through Jesus, wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he's writing it to us. Something needs to change in our lives if this is not the type of love that we're displaying toward God and toward the people around us. And so we've been talking through that uh, week one, we talked about being rooted and grounded in God's love based on Ephesians 3.17. Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians church, told them to experience God's love regularly, grow in it regularly. And remember, that's not like come to church, sing a song, and cry. Okay, that's a part of experiencing God's love, but you don't have to feel any emotion to be experiencing God's love. In fact, the best way to experience God's love in its fullness is to demonstrate it when you don't feel it. That's the best way. So when someone takes your parking place, in fact, if someone comes down the road and you're there with your blinker and it's to turn off your blinker, back up and let them have it. Get that? That's the forfeiture of my right. I was here first. This is my spot. 
but you know what? I can go a few spots back and I'm going to give that up for you. Um, and that's what we're talking about. So anything less than that, we want to stay rooted and grounded in it because if we do, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, you become full of everything that there is in God. Everything. Because God is love. In week two, we talked about what we've forgotten. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think some of those frogs from camp jumped into my throat and rode home with us. And so I have a frog in my throat. Ribbit, ribbit. Um, that was great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the words that God has spoken to us or the callings that he's put on our life. It's easy to get busy with life or go through hardships and we forget them. And so in week two, we emphasize what is it that God's called us to do that maybe we've turned away from that we need to remember, that we need to recall or come back through. And so week three, last week, we talked about hidden gold and the four ways we actually dig for hidden gold in the kingdom. And so I'd encourage you to go back through, uh, listen to the things that you missed. But today we're talking about where did it come from? Excuse me, where did it come from? That's actually a typo on the screen but I didn't have time to change it. And uh, for those of you that maybe saw it on Facebook and looked it up, you realized quickly there is no verse 32 of Matthew chapter 11. And uh, I was waiting all week for someone to say, hey, there's no Matthew. So apparently either no one saw it and, or no one had the courage to tell me. And so I don't know which one it is, but it's Matthew 10, 32 to 42. And if you're using the Bible in front of you, uh, there in the, the seats, it's page 808. Matthew 10, 32 to 42. <clears throat> the question I want us to think about and wrestle with today is what the church in Ephesus did with this letter. What do you think they did? Did they accept the message and repent? You remember when Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached to them and they repented immediately? The thing is, is we, we really don't know. There's no record in the Bible of what happened in Ephesus when this letter was given um, they either accepted it and repented, or they rejected it, and we don't know, but the call to repent was pretty clear. Something had to change, and they should have done something. Now, they could have, because remember, they tested apostles and found them to be false. They could have not liked this message and been like, you know, well, let's test John. He's false. He's not a real apostle. Um, so we're going to just pretend that he doesn't have the right. Or, you know, who, who does John think he is to correct us? I know he was our pastor for a while, but I mean, like he's gone now. So uh, yeah, we got it from here. Or, oh, you had a vision on the island of Patmos. Yeah. Uh, how do you know your vision was really from God? You said you saw Jesus, but he didn't look the same. So we're not, I mean, that's what they could have done. I mean, they didn't have to read this message and be like, oh yeah, totally going to repent now. And that's not real far-fetched because this happened to the Apostle Paul. If you remember in the letter to the Corinthians, see, if you don't know the backstory, sometimes when you read Corinthians, you might be like, what's Paul doing? What's he talking about? But there was one man in Corinth that wanted to reject Paul as an apostle. He didn't believe Paul was an apostle, and he stirred up trouble in the church saying, Paul's not really an apostle. We shouldn't listen to him. We should do our own thing. And his biggest complaint, are you ready for this? Biggest complaint that showed that Paul wasn't a true apostle, he didn't take money for his preaching. The apostles did. I mean, if you preach and teach, the scripture's clear, you should be able to take money and live so that you can preach and teach the, the body. That's in the Bible. 
That's what apostles did. All of the other apostles did that. They didn't work other jobs. They made a living from preaching and teaching. And Paul did not. Now, I don't know that that was a test of an apostle, but they found him to be false. And then remember these super apostles that came to Corinth and they would say, well, Paul's not a real apostle because he writes these letters and they're really, they're really strong letters. But when he preaches, he's too nice. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to hear Paul preach because when we read Paul, we're not like, man, that guy is a people person. He is, loves people. I mean, we don't. We're like, dude, that guy's like. Um, but he, he says, I hate writing this to you. I don't want to be hard. And when I come to you face to face, I don't want to have to do that. I want to be able to, to celebrate with you and rejoice with you. So I'm going to write this, hoping you correct it before I come. And some people, because he wasn't as hard when he taught, they were like, he's wishy-washy. He writes one thing, but he preaches another, and so he's not a real apostle. So it's totally possible. These guys in Ephesus could have said, you know what, John, you're a little off your rocker, and uh, we're just not going to believe you. And those are some of the same questions that people wrestle with today. I mean, when we hear a sermon, whether it's in this church or whatever church you attend, if you're a guest today, or if you're watching online, or you maybe have a favorite podcast, or you maybe were told that so-and-so is a false teacher. I mean, he teaches bad stuff. I mean, I get this all the time. I'm reading a book by someone, and people will be like, why would you read a book by them? I mean, they're, they're like a false teacher. Because I weigh every teaching that I read. I don't really care where it comes from. I weigh the teaching. And I found that I actually can learn things from people that I really don't like all that well in their style. Or actually, in one area, we really disagree in theology. If I can only read people that agree with me on everything, I might only be able to read my own stuff. And even then, sometimes I argue with myself. So um, I don't know what I would read. So we wrestle with this. Who do we listen to? I mean, who has the right to correct us? When we're, we're reading a letter or how do we know if like a church leader says here, hey, here's a vision that we've had from God. How do we know? How do we know it's God or it's made up or, or maybe we just don't need people. Maybe we just need Jesus, the Holy Spirit in the Bible. That's it. I mean, I go to church to worship God because I like the music, but I don't really need you people the rest of the week. I'm just going to have Jesus and the Spirit in the Bible. That's all I need because that is a way of living for many people. But I believe God's word teaches, and we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 10, that God often speaks to us through people. And I believe sometimes we neglect what God is saying through people, sometimes because of laziness and apathy or busyness and hardship. Sometimes it's because we dismiss the vessel that it's coming through. Somebody maybe shares a word with us and we're like, well, that person, look at all that sin in their life. I don't have to. I mean, we see their flaws and we disqualify the word because the vessel is flawed. But could I, could, real quick, if you have no flaws whatsoever, could you stand up real quick? No flaws at all. You're perfect in every way. Yeah, I didn't think so. So it's easy for us when we don't like the message that's being said, even if a friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what Proverbs teaches us. So when someone comes to us, if we don't like the message, it's easy for us to say, well, that, I don't need to listen to that from them because they're a flawed vessel. And today we really want to look at whether or not we're rejecting a message from Jesus because we're rejecting the vessel it's coming through. 
And that could be a, a pastor, it could be a, an evangelist, it could be you know, a full-time ministry person, or it could be a friend. It could be a sinner. It could be your boss at work who maybe uh, is an alcoholic and he swears all the time and you're like, that guy, yeah, that message, I don't need to hear that because that's definitely not from God. I think it could be. And we really need to make sure that we don't dismiss the messages Jesus is sending to us because we don't like the vessel. And this is what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 10. Now, I want you to keep in mind as we go through the day that the Bible is actually 66 books, individual books written by different people, but it's one total revelation. Okay, so each individual book and each individual passage can kind of stand on its own, but if we try to interpret it in a way that contradicts something else, that's not what it means. It can't mean that. So we've got to figure out what it means. Because sometimes when you read this passage and you read this passage, one of the big ones is we like to read when Paul says, I do not allow any woman to have authority over a man. They should never preach or teach in church. Well, that can't mean that. How do I know? Because there are other places in the Bible where women are teaching and preaching in the church. There are women apostles listed in the Bible. So we've got to really dig into what's going on in Ephesus that Paul is writing to Timothy about. What does that mean so that we don't misinterpret it? Because sometimes we like to take parts out and try to make them stand on their own, and we've we got to go whole revelation. So keep that in mind. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 42, page 808. Here we go. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now, Jesus is speaking specifically not just to our words here. Some of your Bibles translate that confess. That's a part of it with your mouth, but it also is about our actions. So we totally know that we're saved because of what Christ did for us, that we're not saved because of what we do. But we also know that James taught us that what we do flows out of what we've become now we are in Christ. So that our actions should correspond with our faith in Christ. So if we are not acknowledging Jesus in first love, in other words, if there's an area of my life where God has spoken to me and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that, God. I'm sorry. That's too hard. I'm not acknowledging Jesus. No matter how much I say, I'm acknowledging him. If I've said no to him anywhere, it's no everywhere. Make sense? That's why coming back to our first love is so important. There cannot be a no. It doesn't mean I can't wrestle with it. It doesn't mean I can't, you know, fail and struggle and go back and forth. It means it can't be a no. Okay? We have to make sure that our first love toward God and our first love toward people acknowledge Jesus. So verse 34 I had to say that because now it's going gonna, it's gonna to seem different. Verse 34, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth, which is weird because when the angels sang, they said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Verse 36, your enemies will be right in your own household. Verse 38, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. 
If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. See, if there's a no anywhere, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And I do not have the time today to go through the nuances of the language that's being used here. Um, because in the Greek language, it's not word for word translation. You've got to kind of understand the, the text. But we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's a name that's given to him. And he did bring peace. What he did when he died on the cross, he made peace between us and God. So from God's side, God is now at peace with all people on earth from his side, okay? Total peace because sin has totally been dealt with. Sin no longer separates anyone from God. I know some of you are about ready to like stone me, but listen, from God's side, until you and I acknowledge what Jesus did and put trust in it and repent, we are not at peace with God from our side. Okay, that has to be applied to me to be at peace with God. So now I am not an unbeliever and I'm not on my way to hell and a sinner because of sin, but because of failure to put faith in Jesus. He dealt with my sin, but if I don't accept it, it still remains. Does that make sense? So when Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace, what he's talking about is when you start following me, your relationships are going to get kind of hairy. I mean, it's going to be hard to apply this because not everyone's going to follow me. So it's going to disrupt stuff. Not everyone is going to love the idea of you following me. And the world, because some people are going to not come to me, is going to be filled with evil. It's going to be filled with wickedness. It's going to be filled with selfishness. And innocent people are going to get hurt. And you and I are going to be tempted at times to follow the path of least resistance. Meaning, God says in his word, do this. It's a command, it's strict, but if I do that, my parents are going to be upset with me. We do it. Because no one can take first place in our lives except God. Now, I want you to understand the word love in this passage is not agape. It's phileo. That's going to be important. This is the affection type of love. Do not let the affection you have from, for your parents or for your spouse keep you from obeying God. Don't let, oh man, this is really going to disrupt that relationship. I, don't, I really don't want to be obedient to God here. Too bad. I got to do it. But I still have to maintain agape toward those people. Because it's phileo here. Sometimes this gets misapplied and misinterpreted, and we actually use this, I got to obey God, so I have to be mean to you. No, 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 no. Don't let your affection towards people cause you to disobey God, but the agape still applies. You still have to love them with a self-sacrificing type of love. You don't yell at them. You don't trash them. You don't say, I'm going to obey God, not you, so you just shut up. Uh, you just disobeyed God because he said agape, gentle. No matter how you're treated, gentleness in return. And so this does not mean that we can write people off. I mean, this happens to us all the time. We, we, we think God is calling us to do something. I got to step back for a minute. What we're talking about here is obeying the cleared, revealed will of God. Clear, revealed will of God. 
meaning it's in the book, God spoke it. If you had this vision at night that you were never supposed to eat anything but peas and carrots for the rest of your life, and it was a dream from God, you're totally convinced. So you go to your spouse and you're like, we can eat nothing else but peas and carrots for the rest of our lives. We have to. Uh, you can't make that rule, okay? Because it's not in the book. <laughs> and now if you just want to eat peas and carrots for the rest of your life, have at it. But you can't apply that to your family. And you can't say, if you don't do it, I'm divorcing you because you got to eat peas and carrots. No, 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 no. The book is still the standard. Make sense? So we do. But sometimes we leave churches because they didn't respect my gifting. They didn't, I, you know, the Bible says that there was a woman in one of the churches in Revelation who called herself a prophet, a prophetess. She wasn't really a prophetess. She didn't have her hands laid on her by the elders. And no one, he said, we recognize that gifting in your life. And so we're going to appoint you as a prophet in the church. She just said, I'm a prophet. God has appointed me as a prophet. But yet the scripture teaches the way you ascend to an office in the church is that church leaders recognize that gift, lay hands on you, and you become a leader in the church. That's how it happens in the book. Okay, so we follow the Bible, not just what we feel. And so that's going to be important. Jesus then goes on, verse 40. Anyone who receives you, his apostles, receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. In other passages, remember, he said, if they reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, and if they reject me, they're rejecting my father. So it goes both ways. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. If you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Now, I want you to understand Jesus is not giving an exclusive list here. He's providing us three examples to kind of give this counterbalance. Um, if you receive a prophet, the prophet being a person who speaks for God. So if someone comes into your life, speaks a word over you, they may not come and say, thus saith the Lord. They may just say, hey, here, a verse I've been reading. Or, hey, I just want to tell you that I watch your life and, man, you're really you really talk about your, your husband really negatively in front of everybody. And I don't know that that's in the Bible. And I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, who do you think you are? I, you know, I've seen you. You don't know what it's like to have my husband. See how we do that? Okay. So speaks for God. Sometimes the righteous people are people who act in a certain way. Okay. So people that speak, people that act in ways toward us, towards us, if we receive them as from God, we will receive their rewards. Then he even goes to the least of my followers. So in other words, the people that have the most flaws, if we refresh them, not always correct them, if we learn to refresh them, we will be rewarded. So what Jesus is doing is he's laying down a kingdom principle that you and I have to understand and we have to follow. We have to be able to receive people that come into our lives and speak to us that God is actually sending to speak. And they may not be recognizable at first. They may not be people that we want to even hear from. They may be people who have wounded us in the past. And yet we can still receive from them. If we receive from them, we get rewarded. Now, he's not saying heaven or hell here, okay? This isn't like a... Um, 
you know, if I bring this person into your life and you don't receive from them, I'm going to send you to hell. No, that's not, this is, this is not here. This type of reward system what that he's talking about is the judgment of believers. Okay, the judgment of believers is talked about in this book. I love the idea that's behind that because we get judged on what we did with what God gave us. And so if we reject a word that God wanted us to hear because we were lazy or apathetic or because we didn't like the vessel, we're, we're going to answer for that. I mean, something that we've done in our lives is going to get burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't want that to happen to any of us. I want to be able to receive from every vessel. So even if someone comes in a rude manner and speaks to us, we can receive what God's saying from that. And the rest of it just drops by the wayside. I literally this morning prayed over the pews and prayed over you and asked God to put filters over our ears so that we would be able to receive every message that God has for us and filter out the man stuff. So whenever someone preaches and we don't like their style and we make excuses like, I, I can't ever learn from that person because they're all over the place, can't follow them, can't track with them. Yeah, the God who raises the dead can't help you track with someone or I don't like the, the jokes they make or the, the way they talk or the filters over our ears. Let all the stuff from man fall off and let what you're saying come into my ears. But don't just check out because it's someone you don't like and just start making your grocery list or play, you know, uh, Candy Crush on your phone and just, you know, I don't need to hear from this person today. So in the passage, Jesus is telling us to follow him wholeheartedly. We want to be able to receive from every person that he sends into our lives. We want to be able to receive those messages and put them into practice. The word receive in this passage means to welcome, accept, receive, believe, take hold of. Okay, so in some of your Bibles, it may say if you welcome. Okay, it's not just welcome, it's to take hold of. So it's not just hear what someone's saying, but it's put it into practice in our lives. Because sometimes we hear a sermon and we're like, oh yeah, I totally need that. I accept it, I receive it, I believe it. But we don't go all the way and actually take hold of it and actually put it into practice in our lives. And we wanna make sure that we go all the way and put it into practice in every one of these situations. So, how do we receive from Jesus? We're going to talk a lot about uh, in the body of Christ, in the church, but this applies, and I'm going to filter it throughout the whole message, to every area of our lives. Um, God brings people into our lives from at work, um, our boss, he brings teachers, our president, no matter who it is, and you know our governor or our senators. I mean, he brings people into our lives that he speaks through, Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. So I just want you to understand, we may go heavy on the church side, but it's, it's all there. So in Ephesians chapter 4, again, the letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The translation that maybe you're most familiar with might say he gave some to be. Um, that's implied in the passage, but the word some is actually not in there in the Greek. So this translation decided not to put it there. But 
he gave some to hold office in the church as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their job is to equip people for the works of service. I want you to notice the first thing here. He gave, Jesus himself gave these people. Not people. People didn't choose it. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, when they come into our lives, they came from Jesus. Not all of them. You, I mean, there are ways you got to test to make sure that they've really been set up. If someone calls themselves something, but they haven't actually been appointed to it, if they don't have like the accountability, the covering of other church elders, if they're isolated by themselves, yeah, there are absolutely standards, but they come from Jesus. And the fact that there are some mean not everybody in the body holds an office. But that does not mean that people don't, that don't hold an office are less important. We know from the scripture that there is no less important part of the body. In fact, the part of the body that we sometimes ignore easily, Jesus says they're actually going to be rewarded better. In Driven by Eternity, John brings out this concept and he talks about how on Judgment Day, we're going to look at some of the people in the church that maybe we thought were going to get all these rewards and then maybe like a stay-at-home mom that really didn't do much. And yet, because that's what God called her to do, she's going to get rewarded for that fully. And because maybe God called this guy over here who's in full-time ministry, but he really wasn't called to full-time ministry. He was actually called to be a businessman. And so everything he did in life, because he ran from what he knew was God's call on his life, and he wanted to do ministry so bad he did it anyway, and he didn't do over here what he was supposed to do, all of that gets burned up at the judgment seat. Because we don't get to pick what we do, he picks for us, and he shows us, he clearly reveals it. So now don't be in fear thinking, what if I'm doing the wrong thing? If you're seeking God, he'll tell you what you need to be doing. But sometimes people are in ministry, and this is in our heart. I love this about our church, is we want to restore people who have been wounded in ministry back to ministry. Because sometimes people are called to ministry, and they get wounded, and then they walk away. And they're like, I'm just going to work in the business world. But that's not your calling. I mean, I can still do good, and I'll give to missions, and I'll do all these things, but that's not what he called you to. And so we want to bring them back to what their calling is. So on Judgment Day, everything they do don't, doesn't get burned up so that everyone is serving in their place of ministry. And then the reason that these offices are given is so that the body of Christ would be built up. So if Jesus sends us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, whether in our church or maybe uh, in a ministry outside of our church, and we've heard this evangelist speak, and we're like, well, I think that evangelist has a private jet, so I'm not going to listen to that message because he has a private jet. If the message is from God and it's biblical, take it. I mean, even if their motive is to get, it's in the Bible, by the way, if their motive is to preach for wealth, and if the message is right, accept it. The only time in Scripture we're told if, if people are living in direct immorality, sin. Sin. If they are living in unrepentant sin that is known and they have been confronted by leaders and they will not repent, then you walk away from that. Don't receive from that teacher. But otherwise, just because they're flawed, we, if the teaching is legit, we receive the teaching so that the body of Christ would be built up. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. 
Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Now, this verse always makes people nervous. And anytime we preach on this, someone's like, Pastor Tom, you shouldn't preach on that. I don't know what you want me to do. It's in the Bible. Okay, so I have to teach it all. I am not advocating, and the writer of Hebrews is not advocating a dictatorship in the church. That's not what he's advocating. Because the Bible is a complete book. We can't take this book out, this passage out, and say, you have to do everything I say. No, we don't. Because we're going to keep this in the Bible, and we're going to look at it. But let me also tell you that I know that, peop- that leaders in the church have used this to control people and manipulate people and cause problems in the church. But let me promise you that leaders are not the only ones that manipulate and control in the church. A lot of manipulation and control in churches comes from the pew, just as much as the pulpit. People, if you don't do this, I'm going to stop tithing. I'm going to stop giving. You can do that if you want. You take that up with God because you're not giving it to me. You're giving it to him. Or they'll use their influence in the church to make people miserable if we don't do a certain program they want to do or if we don't vote the way they want to do. We'll just, we'll, go, we'll make it go our way. When Jesus taught on false teachers, he did not teach that they come in shepherd's clothings with shepherd's staffs, did he? What did he say, shep- or what did he say false teachers come in? Sheep clothing. Now, guess what? Shepherds are sheep. Also, so shepherds, leaders in the church could be false, but people in the pew could be too. And we have to be careful that we don't reject a message or we know the message that we're listening to and where it's coming from. So how do we, or how are we? Here's a question I want us to ask. How are we receiving from the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists that God brings into our lives. I mean, I know that some of our global partners that come to preach to us, um, they're, they're evangelists, many of them, or they're, they're apostles in a sense, many of them, and their gift is not preaching and teaching. And so when they stand up here and teach, it's sometimes like, what are you saying? I don't think I could go to a church where you teach. It's hard. But let me, let me ask you this. Are you taking notes and you know, focusing and, you know, I'm going to get something from this today. Holy Spirit, help me to get one nugget of truth out of this. Or have I given up and I picked up my phone and I'm playing on it? In other words, do we value hearing the word of God taught to us? Because I know that since we come here every Sunday, we get to this place where, well, that's just Pastor Tom up there. That, well, the real pastor's gone today, so this is just our associate pastor. No, that's a message from God to us. Because he gave those people to us. I'm not saying every word that flows out of our mouths up here is from God. You've got to filter, but you've got to take notes. You've got to intentionally put yourself in. I don't listen to a message in a church ever that I'm not taking notes on. Because you know why? My mind wanders. Because I want to remember the things that God's saying. I don't always write down everything they say or put up on the screen, but I want to remember what God is saying and apply it to my life. And if Jesus himself was going to sit here next week, would you react differently to that sermon than you are right now? 
If you missed that Sunday, would you tune into the live stream as soon as you could to hear what Jesus had to say? And some of us, we don't realize we're rejecting a message that comes from Jesus because we just don't like the vessel that it's coming through. Or it's a, a common vessel that we're used to. Or we don't like that they have a flying jet. So we're like, I'm not going to listen to that. We want to make sure. This applies not just to preaching and teaching. What about worship? I mean, well, I can't really worship when that person leads. Or, man, when Stan leads, I love all the songs that Stan leads. I really can enter in. Oh, when, the, when I went to that Gaither's concert, man, God's presence was totally there. No, God's presence is totally everywhere. But sometimes because it's a style we like, our emotions are moved. But that doesn't guarantee we're worshiping. Just because your emotions are moved and you get goosebumps doesn't mean you're glorifying God. And if you don't worship the same no matter who's leading... What are you worshiping? The style of music or the God of heaven? So we want to make sure that we are not rejecting the, the person that God is sending us to because of the flaws in their lives, because of the, the well, they're just common. There's someone I know. Or because they're even a sinner. Like your boss at work. It's like, well, God would never use my boss at work because, you know, he's flawed. All right? See, you and I live in a culture that has an epidemic where we distrust authority. We question everything because we've been burned, and so all authority sometimes in our eyes is bad. We totally should question it and make sure that if they're saying to do anything that does not line up with Scripture, then we should never do it no matter who they are. If they're the president of the United States or if they're a police officer and they say, okay, I want you to get out of your car and I want you to drink this beer and I, I want you to keep drinking until your blood alcohol level is above the legal limit. You can't do that because the Bible says don't get drunk with beer or wine. Or, so I, I, I can't do that, officer. I'm going to put you in jail if you don't do it. You know, it's easy to use illustrations that don't make sense so that I, you don't feel like I'm singling you out. Because, you know, so that, that's why I do that. But in our lives, anytime it goes against the scripture. But what we, we tend to do is they're not scriptural things. A lot of times, they're preference things. They're not things that are black and white, don't do this in the scripture. Your boss tells you to do something and you're like, well, I really don't want to do that. And we blame it on, I'm following Jesus. But it's really not a command of scripture. It's just your own personal preference. This last week at um, Royal Family Kids Camp, I played the role of a shepherd in a skit. And one of the, the, the sheep, all of the sheep actually did, they ran away and they did bad things. They didn't listen to the shepherd. That was terrible. But they all came back at the end, so it's happy, it's great. And uh, someone actually said, we should have, one of the sheep should die because real life is hard. I'm like, shush, one of the sheep should not die. <laughs> life is hard. We don't need to have the, the skit be hard too. But... <laughs> One of the, the sheep didn't want to move to the new sheepfold. We had to move to a new place because if we stayed where we were, we were going to overgraze. And shepherds have to do that. Shepherds at times have to move the sheep somewhere so that they don't overgraze the ground. And so what happens in our lives is sometimes we have to stop using a program or we have to stop doing something the way we've always done it because we're overgrazing. Because we're, we've gotten comfortable doing this and we've applied, we've applied doctrine to something that's just a preference. 
And so from time to time, leaders in the church will actually say, no, we need to move on from this. And we sometimes get upset with that and we don't like it. And we pretend that that thing is actually biblical truth. And it's not biblical truth. It's a preference. And sometimes we got to graze somewhere else. We have to. Or we get stuck. And the people that understand shepherding would have known that. They would have known that shepherds don't just care for the sheep and love them and leave the 99 to go after the one and do all those things. But at some point, they realize if we stay here, all the grass is going to be gone and we're going to die. We got to move some, We got to move on. We got to get past this thing. And so church culture sometimes changes. The songs sometimes change and the looks of the building sometimes change and things change. And just be careful that we don't apply God's status to our preferences. There's not always a black and white. There's not always a right and wrong. And sometimes when there's an authority in our lives, whether it's a boss, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a a politician, and they're telling us to do something and it's not a black and white thing in scripture, we got to do that thing, even if we don't like it. Because God put that person in our lives. How do I know God put that person in our lives? Well, because in Romans 13, it says that we submit to the governing authorities because all authority, all authority comes from God. I mean, even like authority in the sense of like the education department. See, in our country, you have the right as a parent to school your children at home and homeschool them. And totally, you're right. You get to do that. But that doesn't mean you have to trash the education system of our culture if all authority has been put in place by God. I mean, you get to choose, you know, wherever you want to go to the doctor, okay? And I know we don't really even need doctors because we have WebMD and we know what's wrong with us. So I don't know why we need that doctor because I know what's wrong with me. And so if you decide to go to Aberdeen or Mitchell or wherever I am inside, to the doctor because, you know, the doctors here aren't... You can do that. That's totally your privilege. You get to do that. You don't have to trash the doctors that are here in the process. You understand what I'm saying? So there are people in our lives that just because we disagree, and if we can disagree and we can choose something else, go for it. Choose something else. Totally you're right. You, don't, you get to choose which church to attend. Totally do it. It's your, it's your total right to do that. But be careful we don't reject a message that God's trying to give us through those people. In fact, he even goes on. Woo! Just checking to make sure you're awake. Praise the Lord. In 1 Peter 2.18, he actually tells us that we're even supposed to respect and do what our bosses say, not just when they're reasonable, but, but even if they're cruel. I thought if my boss was cruel, I was allowed to like talk about him at the water cooler. No. I thought if our president, you know, was, uh, was acting like an idiot, I was allowed to say it. No. Because those governing authorities are there for a reason. See, some of the harshest words in the scripture are given to people in the body of Christ that actually stir up trouble. And not just trouble in the church, but they're always, they always have something bad to say about someone. You know, and the Bible's pretty clear. If you've, if you've got something bad to say about someone, there's a way to do it. Go to that person. Try to do it for their benefit, not for yours. Make sure you're trying to restore them and you're doing it gently. And there are ways to point out things to people. Um, but the harshest things in the scripture are 
towards people that stir up um, trouble. In fact, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says, these are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. That means the seventh one is an abomination. He hates a proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that, he doesn't hate liars. He hates a lying tongue. Okay, get that. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. In the church, at the water cooler at work, well, I don't care where you're sowing the discord, he hates it. It's an abomination. And the interesting thing is, that same word abomination in Hebrew is in Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 18.22 says, anytime a man lies down with another man the way he does a woman, it is an abomination. So the next time you're at the water cooler thinking I could spread this juicy gossip, remember that God called homosexuality and, and gossip abominations. Same word, think twice. Don't sow discord among brothers anywhere. I mean, the scriptures are loaded with it in the New Testament. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. That word means two visions. So if your boss comes in and says, hey, here's the direction we're going to go. The board of directors met, and this is what we're going we're to make this change. And you're livid. You're like, we're not, I, this is the stupidest change we've ever made. You don't like the change? Go tell your boss. Hey, I don't like this change. Here's something I see. He may not see it. May thank you for it. But don't go around with a bad attitude. It might be Jesus trying to show you that that problem was in you. So he actually gave a stupid idea to your boss. <laughs> Are you here? He doesn't give stupid ideas to people. Remember David and his census? And he's like, I want to take a census. And is it uh, the crazy guy with the J, that his commander that always wanted to kill everybody? Is like, what are you doing? We shouldn't take a census. This isn't God. David's like, it's God. We're going to take a census. They take a census and then God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. That was a crazy idea. And then God's going to smite the people. And David's like, no, don't do it. It was my mistake. Just kill me. See, these cool stories are in the Bible. You should read it. It's really great. But that sometimes happens. God gives bad ideas to people just to see how we're going to react. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Warn a divisive person once, and after that, have nothing to do with them. In Jude chapter 8, these dreamers, these people that get authority from their dreams, they live immoral lives. They defy authority. Defying authority is not what God wants us to do. So where did it come from? The word, this first love, the, the messages that come into our lives, okay, where do they come from? Jesus clearly taught us, do not deviate ever from being obedient to Christ. And if we don't obey him, and sometimes obeying him is going to divisive people and saying, you're being divisive. You really should stop. But we don't like to do that. You know why? Because it makes our relationships messy. People aren't going to like me. If I tell them to stop being divisive, they're going to be mean. They're going to be mad at me. And what did Jesus say? Don't let your affection for anybody. He said, warn divisive people. I know, this is, I, it just, I don't know what to do with it. 
But we also sometimes just ignore them. Well, that person over there, they're just divisive. So when I see them coming at Walmart, I just chuck in the back, next aisle real quick. It doesn't say ignore them. It says agape them, love them, first love type of love. But if you and I are going to preach that homosexuality is a sin, then we also ought to preach that causing division is with the exact same intensity. So we want to be careful that we're not rejecting Christ when we reject the messengers that he sends to us. Now, one quick word to leaders and to parents especially, because parents, you're the authority in your home, husbands, wives. I mean, God has a whole authority structure that we didn't get to because we're not here till forever. But you cannot force people to receive from you. And the harder you try, the more they rebel. And so it's our job to make sure that we model respect. It's interesting that parents try to get their children to respect them, but then they don't respect like any other authority in their lives. And they wonder, you know, what we do really matters more than what we say. That is true. But the Bible never tells us to try to control or manipulate or force our children to do anything. I mean, harshly. So keep that in mind. If you're a boss at work or you're a parent, we want to try to get people to follow Christ, but we got to be careful how we do it. And I realize there's extremes on both sides of this teaching. I realize some of you have been in places where there's an unhealthy, harsh, controlling, domineering type of leadership in the home, uh, at work, in churches. I know it. You've seen it. And I, on this pendulum side over here, there's a, well, let's just not have any authority at all whatsoever, and let's just never say no to anybody, and let's just all do our own thing. That's the opposite extreme, and somewhere in the middle, we want to hear the truth. And so, as we pray today, here's the question I want you to think about. In fact, you can go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads. Real quick, I want you to think about this question. Are we receiving the messages that Jesus has for us? In every area of our lives, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our home, whether it's at work, wherever we are, are we receiving every message? Or have we gotten lazy, maybe indifferent, not being as diligent as we were before, or we didn't like the vessel? So we've rejected maybe a word God had for us. Word of blessing, word of correction, a calling. My hope is that you take a few moments and really just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. At any place, you've been kind of pushing him away. For some of you, it's your boss. For some of you, it's your spouse. Some of you, it's pastor, a teacher, evangelist, prophet, apostle. My hope is that one day, everyone in this room stands before the judgment seat of Christ and everything that you have done with the Holy Spirit who has been given to you with the calling that God has placed on your life, that everything in that moment that you have done, that it all stands the test and none of it passes by the wayside. 
And so let's get the ability to recognize where a message comes from, even when we don't like where it's coming from or who it's coming through. (laughs) That's a better way to say it. Father, I thank you that you do discipline those that you love, that you correct us and you rebuke us, but you teach us and you train us. I thank you that you are ultimately gentle towards us and help us in the times that we even need to correct one another. Help us to be like you. Help us to be gentle towards those that we see something in their lives that maybe we feel like you're leading us to step out and have a conversation about. Help us to heed your word that says to deal with the log in our eye, to make sure we're, we're not actually missing something that you're trying to say to us through that person's imperfections. Help us not to just go and correct people just so that we feel better about ourselves. God, help us to, to make sure we're hearing your voice. When it's a, a teaching we don't want to hear or it's a, a message we don't want to hear, or it's a command from someone we don't want to hear. Help us to have the ability to recognize your voice within that voice. We want to be a people that obey you in everything, that never give you a no. That's the desire of our hearts. And so help us to take these words today Holy Spirit, show us how to apply them to our lives even right now. Show us those steps. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can take a few moments, I know it's already 11.30, and you can just wait on the Holy Spirit and even wait for that step, I'd encourage you to do that. Just say, hey, what's that step I need to take next? Which area? Which person? And if you need to be dismissed, please feel free to do that. I know that we've got schedules sometimes that we've got to keep, and we're not going to hold you here. But just please dismiss quietly from this room. Let those that maybe want to spend a little bit of time in prayer uh, continue to do that. And when you're ready to be dismissed, uh, feel free to visit each other out in the lobby area. You can pick up your children down in the kids' center as well. God bless you as you go today.